Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. So thank you for being here. I'm so great. And forgive me if I'm looking up because there's a bigger picture of you up here where I can, I feel like I'm making eye contact, which I know I should be looking down here. So, Let me know when we're actually starting. We, uh, this would be us starting. Yep. You're, you're going to find that this is the most, honey, I, I, all I know to do is just be me. And, and I am not a journalist. I am not a professional. Uh, ask me a mortgage question, you know. But thank you for being here, Mr. Randy Grimes. Um, and and I, I texted with you last night and I told you I got a, I got a schooling from my husband uh, because I, 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 knew, I knew a lot about you because you came and spoke at the Cinecore fundraiser. Thank you so much for being here. Um, as uh, as I was saying, we we um, we met uh, back in well, actually, we started talking back in 2020. Uh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the end of 2020, I think, and and when yeah. when you were asked to be a keynote speaker at the Cinecore fundraiser here in Waco, um, and so I, I knew some stats on you, but I am your um, I, I don't want to say typical girl, but I'm, let's just say in my household, my husband does not allow me to watch football with him because I ask too many questions, and <laughs> and when my son when my son plays played football. Um, I would get in trouble because anytime they would say his name over the loudspeaker, of course, I'm going to cheer. Well, a lot of times it wasn't a good time that they were saying or for, for a good move that they were saying his name. So uh, but my husband and I were going over some of your stats last uh, last night and I was. Um, uh, hey, offensive centers don't have many stats. <laughs> well, I, I did not know that, but he he was trying to school me on you, and of course I was going, "Give me a break, sir." I I know all about him, and he said he, you know, he do you know he was a second round draft pick, and I said, "Oh, I said is uh, so so they didn't pick him first. and he said, "Are you freaking kidding?" I mean, so he went <laughs> he went off on me on your behalf. So um, I, again, I, I'm I'm ignorant when it comes to that. You you're from Tyler, Texas, originally. You attended Baylor University here and kicked ass um, uh, up and down up and down the ball field here, and then uh, met your beautifully amazing wife Lydia here, um, which you are still happily married to today. And I'm so happy yep. to know both of you, and I'm I'm so blessed to know you. Um, but then you were second round draft pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which whom with whom you played almost ten years. Right. Just just shy of 10 years. So right. I, I got to tell you, um, I, I went on as as I was doing a little bit of research last night. I, I got on. I think the website is um, is Randy Grimes I think that's what okay. it is. And I saw the video that you have posted on there that um, that showed all of the players getting hit. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. at 50, I, and I, I literally, Randy, I was physically sick to my stomach. I, I just thought, <laughs> oh my God, how do you, how do you, how do, how do you do that? How does a human body do that time after time? And then I saw the stat where you played in 118 games. That's a lot. That's a lot. And started in 104. So yeah. by my intellect, which I like to think is, is grandiose, um, that's a lot of times that you were probably uh, made contact with as far as getting hit. So my question to you is what type of injuries, just, just because I'm curious, what type of injury, what is a sinner? <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that two questions? That's two. Well, let's answer the first, answer the second one first, because what, where do you play on the field so that I, if other girls are listening, what position is that? What does that mean? What's your job? Well, first of all, let me say congratulations on the show. Thank you. You know, this is awesome that you're doing this. We need this. People need to hear this message. Amen. Not not from me, but from you. And and congrats on all you've accomplished in such a short time with Thank the show. You. So I'm really, I'm really proud of you and that I'm honored to be here. That means a lot. Thank okay. you. All right. So that's my opening. And <laughs> so a center is the guy that hikes the ball to the quarterback for okay. all the female viewers out there that might not know and, and that's a center not a centaur i'm not half horse <laughs> half man, so. got it so what was the, uh, so what the, was the other question the next oh, question what was, was what type of injuries did you sustain just just overall you know on a given on a given sunday what kind of what kind of injuries would you sustain well, and, and, and you mentioned that I, I played in 118 games. I started 104. I thought it was 107. But, uh, you know, what you're not counting is also the practices, you know. Oh, yeah. And I played, I played back in an era where we beat the hell out of each other all week long because the coaching mentality back then was if you don't practice hard, you're not going to play hard. Wow. So it was that old Bear Bryant mentality, that Junction Boy BS, you know, and we, we beat the hell out of each other all week long. And hopefully there was enough left in the tank to play on Sunday. And uh, so a lot of the injuries that I sustained, and when I say injuries, I say, you know, sprains, you know, oh, fractures, twists and turns and things like that you know bruises deep bruises hip pointers ribs Golly. uh you know uh concussions sub-concussions those are the kind of uh those are the kind of events that started uh me on the journey that that, that i eventually went on right. so you know that's that was part of the game that was you know that's what you sign up for that's what i signed up for when i started playing football back in fourth grade and all the way through high school and all the way through Baylor and then 10 years in the NFL, you know, that I knew what I was getting into, but I loved the game that much. Right. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's, that's scary to me. So, so tell me, tell me what happened. You know, it, the, the whole goal of this show when, when I started, it was to, like I said, to have people on to, to, to give the story of, of what it was like what happened and, and what you're like now. Um, I, I've only known you on the other side of, of recovery, um, but can you share with me basically what happened? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, I was that guy willing to do whatever I had to to stay out on the field. And, um, 
You know, for me, that meant taking a handful of pain pills every day and practicing and playing through the different injuries I got. You know, I can remember when I first got to the locker room in Tampa Bay after I'd just gotten drafted out of Baylor. I had a, I had a locker next to Leroy Selman. And you probably don't know who Leroy Selman is, but most of the football fans listening to this show will. And, uh, you know, he was a legend of the game. He was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' first draft pick ever back in 76. And um, I had a locker next to him. And uh, this was this was before I even played my first game for the Bucs. This was like during my rookie training camp. And, uh, you know, we used to have these deep conversations. And I learned a lot about being a professional football player, not only on the field, but off the field from Leroy. But one thing I learned for him, from him early was that football was no longer a game. It was now a job. And the second thing I learned from him was do whatever you have to to stay out on that field because if you're not out there in your position, somebody else will be. Mm. And you don't want to ever let that happen. So, you know, I'm sure Leroy didn't mean take a handful of paint pills every day and, 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 and practice and play through those injuries and, and the different things that were going on. But that's what I was willing to do. I mean, Christine, I didn't want to be – I didn't want to get that reputation of always being on the injury report or always missing practice or always being in the training room or always being in line to see the doctor, you know, uh, because of an injury. I just wanted to keep my mouth shut, get dressed and get in my position and play football. And, keep and your, that's what I did. And keep you know? your job. So, and, just, so question, question, real quick. When you when you said that 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 Leroy, um, basically, you know, that's when it turned into a job. Did that did that change you in any way? Do you know what I mean? It's it's like um, the and obviously I have no equivalent point of reference, but but there 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 is a, you know a certain hobby that I do that that you know I've been suggested you know you should do that. It's like no, if I if I have to do it, if it's if it's then it's not fun anymore. Did it change your mentality? Just, just because I'm curious towards football when you, when you started yeah. looking at it as well, a job? Well, the pressures of the, of, of what was then a game changed. Okay. Got you it. Know, because now it was a job and there was always somebody trying to take your position. Got I mean, it. Obviously the first time I got a paycheck for playing football, it blew my mind. You know, I, I just couldn't believe that somebody would pay me to play a game that, that I would love. gladly have played for free. Wow. You know, so uh, that was that in itself was odd, but it, it actually was a very high pressure, high, high, um, well, a high pressure job. And, you know, I played uh, I played 10 years in Tampa. And during those 10 years, I had five different head coaches. Oh, wow. Uh, so I had to I had to prove myself about every two years. Uh, and make the team again and not only make the team but keep my starting position you know because there was always a rollover there was always uh new people coming in not only in, in coaching but new players new front office people and uh you know that's one of the things that i'm most proud of is the fact that i was able to survive all those coaching changes and all those front office changes and and even all the different quarterback changes we had, you know, I, I probably played for 10 different quarterbacks. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's so it was, it was a revolving door around Tampa Bay in the eighties and early nineties. Mm. So what? And, and our reflected that too, by yeah, the way. Right. <laughs> well, and I just, yeah, that, that's, um, 
Yeah, I can't imagine that kind of pressure. That that had to be, yeah, that had to be. Um... And, and, you know, that I, that was not anything that I had experienced at Baylor. I mean, Baylor, it was college football. You know, it was still a game. It was fun. fun. It was Coach Taff. It was all my buddies. It was, it was dorm life, you know. It was roaming around the campus, you know. It was it, – football was football. You know, it was Georgia's, right? Uh, all that kind of stuff, and you know everything that Waco had to offer, we enjoyed, and it was still a game. You know, I met Lydia the first day my freshman year. We went out that night and got married after our junior year. And why we did that, I'll never know because we didn't have a pot to be in or when to throw <laughs> it out. Of. But we loved each other, and I knew I better get a ring on that. That's right. right. That's right. So. Um, you know, it was still a game, and I can remember getting drafted. You know, I can remember sitting in that one-bedroom efficiency on Fifth Street on the campus of Baylor and getting that phone call from Tampa Bay. And, hell, I didn't even know where Tampa Bay was. I'd never even seen the ocean <laughs> at that point. I was a kid from East Texas. Oh, so wow. That, that was huge for me. I, did, I We packed up everything that we owned in a, in a little U-Haul and hooked it up to my Burgundy Cutlass Supreme and – out I-10 East, we went, you know, uh, and we were going to go start our family. We were going to start our, well, starting our marriage, our family, and my, my career life. pro football. We were really excited. Wow. That's amazing. But that's, that was back when it was still a game, you know. And, and yep, and then, and then it starts. So, so, so walk me through, walk me through, let's obviously you're, you're, you're here, um, you know, to share, to share on addiction. And, and so tell me when, when, when was your first, um, cause like my, my drug of choice is alcohol, um, and, and, and yours was different, but, but something in it, you know, you, uh, something I learn, uh, and, and I see daily, whatever our vice is the the gates of hell are still the gates of hell you know regardless right. of what got you there so so right. i think it's real important for anyone who's listening that that might say you know alcohol's not my thing or pills is not my thing you know heroin whatever whatever your advice is it place, all right? brings you to the same fiery gates of hell and so the solution happens to basically be the same in my humble opinion um after 11 years of this gig so um Share with share with me your your first experience with a substance that that started you on that trail. What what was your first experience like? Well, my first experience was going and getting all the all the narcotics out of the uh, drug safe. We had a drug safe in the middle of our uh, training room that was never locked. It was wide open all the time, and it was just full of uh, all the opiates and benzodiazepines that you oh, needed. Wow. And uh, if it ever was locked. We had three white guys that started on defense and their jersey numbers were the combination to the safe the whole 10 years that I was there. So okay. I, could, I, I could just get in what, whatever I wanted. So it started with me, like I said, being willing to do whatever I had to to keep my mouth shut and, and stay out on the field. And I would just go get my own opiates. And, um, you know, I, I don't remember ever thinking, wow, this is great. I'm high. I feel great. You know, I can just remember numbing up enough to get through practice every day. Right. And, oh, wow. you know, what started as a, a once or twice or three times a week routine turned into an everyday routine. And then I started mixing uh, benzodiazepines with that at night so I could get to sleep. 
through the injuries that I had. So how early, and, uh, how early, when are we talking? Second year? In, oh, we're talking about, we're talking about the middle of my second year there. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, you know, this went on for about eight years of my career and, and, and Christine, it, it, it progressed to the point that the last two years of my career, I was playing games in complete blackouts. I was taking so many opiates and so many benzodiazepines and, and the benzodiazepine I was taking back then was uh, Halcyon. Mm. And uh, if anybody knows anything about those, you know, those, those were kind of the granddaddy to Xanax, you know, it was, uh, it Which was, is alcohol it was a, and a pill. I mean, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's and uh, I was playing games in a complete blackout and I was the starting center. You know, I was the quarterback of the offensive line. I was getting guys going in the right direction. You know, I was changing blocking schemes. I was doing everything that a center does, which is a lot when it, when you get to the line of scrimmage and having to listen for the quarterback snap count, had to listen to the quarterback to change the play. And I was doing all of that in a blackout. I would be, I would be home late at night after playing a, a game at one o'clock, either at home or somewhere in the country. And I would be laying on the couch and about midnight, you know, I would kind of start coming out of it and I'd be all beat up and scratched up and, and, and dehydrated and fingernails all torn up and everything you are after an NFL football game. And I didn't remember any of it mm. and I had played every down. So, um, you know, that's what it progressed to the last two years. It, it was definitely a full blown addiction that I justified because I wanted to be the best center that I could be. I wanted to feed my family. I wanted that next big contract. I wanted to be all pro. And, you know, I, I looked at it like a necessary evil instead of what it really was, was a full-blown addiction. And, and you know, what's crazy is the eight years that this, nine years that this was going on, not once did anybody ever say, you know, hey, Randy, why are you slurring your words? Or Randy, why are you nodding off in meetings? Or Randy, why are you late to practice every day? Or, or why are you the last to leave the building every night? Pills are missing out of the drug safe. You know, nobody ever asked me those questions because I was always playing good. So, yeah, that, that's what broke, I was that's what I was going to ask you. So so did at any point I mean, because you had there's a team doctor, right? I'm assuming did, did at any point did. So a doctor didn't go. How much are you doing? The, you know, how many are you taking? Or there wasn't an. So you were never confronted at all with that. Never. Matter of fact, I was getting them from the team doctor most of the time. You know, we, we would leave after after a home game or, well, I'll tell you, after a home game, because it's easier to explain, after we played our game, we would get dressed, we would shower, we would get dressed, our families would be waiting for us right outside the, the locker room door of the stadium. And as we left the stadium door there, a manager would be standing there with a little white envelope. And in that white envelope would be two Percocet, two Halcyon, and he would hand you two beers. As you were walking past him with your car keys in your hand, going out to meet your family. What other occupation does that in the world? You know, wow. besides the NFL back in the eighties and early nineties. And uh, same thing happens um, on a, uh, on a, on a plane flight back home from an away game. A manager would walk up the center aisle of that airplane, handing out that little white envelope and two beers. And if somebody didn't want it, of course, I was the first to ask them, you know, get it and hand it to me. 
you know, because at that point I was already, uh, I was, I was in the midst of a full blown addiction. So, did you know it uh, was an addiction or did you still, were you in, you know, in, 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 in a, a certain book I read, it says we are in full flight from reality at some point. Did you know that there was a, an addiction going on or, or were you just surviving day to day? Yeah, well, I, I guess I never, I, I never really, I refused to call it a, an addiction. And what did I know about addiction back then? You know, I, I just wanted to be the best football player I could be. I wanted to feed my family. You know, I looked at it like a necessary evil. And um, when I knew that it was a real problem was the first time that I ran out or I had to quit taking benzodiazepines to, uh, to have a surgery. That I, that I needed on my shoulder. And when I did that, I had a seizure on the beach down in St. Pete, right in front of the Don Cesar Hotel. And I knew then that things had gotten out of control, but nobody else knew. Nobody else knew what I, what I was doing and what, what, what I was putting in my body. Were you still playing? You, know, you were still playing at that time, just waiting on a surgery? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and, uh, you know, I did all the uh, the the, the uh, uh, epilepsy test and and seizure disorder test and and the fact that I just had a surgery on my shoulder, they kind of blamed it on that. But I knew that it was a a, a result of uh, withdrawal from benzodiazepines. So um, I knew then, and that was you know that was uh, my next to my last year at Tampa. But you know what? I couldn't stop what I was doing at that point. I was, I was, I was in it, and um, I, I was willing to do whatever I had to to continue to play football. Wow! Wow! And, and that's a pretty crappy excuse, you know. Well, but, that, well, you know what though? Life, yeah, that's your. That was your wasn't reality. Unmanageable at that point because I had all these enablers. You know, I had all these team doctors and team trainers and teammates and fans outside the door. I had a, an unlimited supply, you know, so life wasn't unmanageable at that point uh, until I left the game. So, so now just, just because I'm curious and, and you're not clearly, you know, I'm not allowed to tell Rick's story and you're not allowed to tell Lydia's story. Was, was there, how was she during this time? Did she recognize what was happening at all, or were you confronted confronted at all by her at this at this time? During, no, during I mean, she this had time? no idea. Really, she had no. Listen, we used to beat the hell out of each other all day in a hundred and eight degree heat, you know, out on the practice field and the game field. So me coming home after practice or after a game and collapsing on the couch or collapsing on the bed, that was not a red flag for her. Wow. You know, and uh, so she really didn't have any idea of what was going on. And um, like I said, life hadn't gotten un unmanageable at that point. Um, so I can't blame her for for what I was going through. Oh, of course not. I, I was just curious if she if she if she I, had I, well, yeah, I pointed out home beat up and, and uh, so it wasn't a red flag at all. So that was the norm. So so when did things when did things start finally catching up? with with what with what you were doing and starting to get unmanageable when did that happen what happened well yeah and, and that happened after i retired i never expected to take that that what i was calling a necessary evil i never expected to take it into my retired life and you know 
the injuries just kept getting worse. Uh, not that I was getting new injuries, but the old injuries were getting worse. The chronic pain was, was, was getting worse every day. Uh, my tolerance to the medication just kept getting higher. So I needed more and more pills all the time. And, you know, doctor shopping all over Houston, Texas, which is where we retired to after we left Tampa, you know, that, that became a full-time job. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, uh, it turned into a disease of more. I needed more and more and more all the time. And, you know, I had, uh, I had some great jobs, uh, in, 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 in my retired life, you know, and, and, and I lost every one of them because of those pills. And I had some great homes and cars and, 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 and friends and relationships and lost every one of those because the pills, because I couldn't stop that chaos that I couldn't stop that, that insanity that went with it. And, uh, man, it had me, you know, it had me good. And, uh, you know, I, I wrecked a lot of, of relationships and, uh, Finally put my hand up in 2009, but you know what? It, that was after doing a lot of damage and, and leaving a huge wake of destruction uh, behind me. Wow. So how long had you been retired? Because you retired in when? Yeah, I retired in uh, 1993. Oh, so you went, a, there was a minute. Oh, wow. Okay. 20 plus years of misery I put people through. And, you know, the new normal for me was emergency rooms and ambulance rides and lost jobs and lost homes and repoed cars and blowing through my finances and lost uh, lost uh, relationships. And um, that was the new normal for me because of that necessary evil that started back in the NFL. Well, yeah, and I guess, you know, into retirement, you've got to find a new source for this medication. So when you were talking about, you know, um, I think, I think the layman terms of med seeking. Med seeking, doctor shopping, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Results are the same, basically trying to find someone to, but, but from what I understand, at least from what you have said in the past that I've heard you say that you, you were, um, you were taking so many pills, trying to find a physician to reasonably prescribe that kind of thing to you was near pert near impossible no not at all uh, you know i could walk in any doctor's office and, and you know back then there was a lot of shady places around houston you know kind of like the pill mill industry that was in south florida all those years right so you could pretty much walk in anywhere especially with my nfl ring on and all the x-rays that i had medical reports that i had and throw it on their desk and pretty much get anything you wanted to uh, it was so unregulated back then, you know, and, 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 and now it's so much different. Thank goodness. You know, it's saving lives. That's right. what that's called. And the, well, the awareness, then, you know, pretty much anything goes and whatever you, whatever you had cash for is, is what you could get. Wow. So what, so tell, tell me what that reckoning was like when you, when you finally were beat into surrender. Yeah, you know what? What was that day like? I I can remember the last house that we we didn't we didn't lose it in foreclosure, but we did have to short sell it. Okay, so I can remember 
but the, the, the new owner wasn't going to take possession of it for uh, like another 90 days. So I can remember moving all the furniture out of that house, cutting the utilities off. And I can remember Lydia having to take a step back. She just couldn't do it anymore. She couldn't continue to sit there and watch me kill myself. And um, so she moved in with the parents and out of guilt and shame, pride, ego, whatever it was, I couldn't do it. So I stayed in that empty house with no utilities, no car, no job, no money in the bank. And I can remember laying on the floor of that vacant house in Houston, Texas, thinking, you know, damn, I was a, uh, I, I, I was a, a college all American. I, 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 I was a second round draft pick. Of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was a pro bowler. I was a, I was the 1988 NFL man of the year. I've got the, the sweetest wife. I, I married my dream girl. You know, I've got two great kids that worship the ground I walk on. And here I am laying in the floor of this dark, empty house with no utilities, no job, no car, no money. And um, that's when I finally put my, and I'd had a really good friend that I played with out here in Tampa Bay named Tom McHale. I uh, played right next to him for many years, and uh, he was doing the same things I was doing, self-medicating injuries he got while he played in Tampa. And one morning in 2008, he just didn't wake up. Oh, wow. And I knew that was going to be me next. And uh, so, and Christine, I was having uh, lots of seizures because I was always running out of, of uh, the benzodiazepines, the Xanax. And uh, that was my other other uh, addiction besides the uh, the opiates. And um, so between the health issues, Tom, Lydia stepping out uh, or stepping back away from me, you know, uh, because she couldn't take it anymore. My daughter not letting me see my first grandchild. Mm. Um, those were all the things that I mean, unfortunately, that's what it took for me to finally put my hand up and ask for help. And, you know, for so many years, I thought that I was the only, there was a lot of guilt and shame there because I thought I was the only one out there like that. You know, here I was, this NFL player who had accomplished all this on the football field. And, and now I can't even keep a job, you know, and, and I can't even keep my family together. I can't keep my life together. And, and for a lot, for many years, I think that was the reason I didn't put my hand up. Mm -hmm. Just out of guilt shame. and shame. I mean, shame. I was ready for my next handful of bills to be my last. And uh, I think there was some pride and ego in there too. But Liddy was willing to make one more phone call for me. And uh, back then, there was nothing out there for former NFL players because um, I'd lost my insurance. So uh, whoever she talked to that day at the league office up in New York on Park Avenue uh, knew somebody who knew somebody. And that's how I got on an airplane. And that was September 22nd, 2009. And that was, uh, that's really, that, that's really my birth date. Wow. Man, I'm so glad you made it to that day. So tell me, tell me <laughs> what, I want to hear what that day was like. What was that day like? So you, you, you you get the word that you that you need to be on a plane. How, how was it to get to even to walk down that 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 jet bridge to get on that plane? What was that like? Lots of fear. Scared scared shitless. Huh? Lots, I get lots it. of fear. <laughs> scared because shitless. I, I knew the damage that I'd caused my family, and that was the biggest thing. You know, was what 
yeah, I'm going to go out here and do this, but what am I going to come back to? You know, what, what are, what are, how much are they willing to forgive me, you know, for everything? So there's a lot of fear with that. Of course, what was going to, at that point, I couldn't imagine life without pills. So it was like, you know, I'm giving up my lover or I'm giving up my, 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 my crutch. I'm giving up what I think I had to have every day to get through. Um, So I had that fear also, but you know, I also had that gift of def- desperation, and uh, I wanted I wanted things to change. I wanted my life back. I wanted my family back. I wanted my reputation back. I wanted my finances back. I wanted everything that I'd lost. I wanted it back, and um, so I, you know what? It was uh, it was I was scared, but I was I was willing to to do whatever they told me to do, and I did, and I have since. That's amazing. That's amazing. I can remember uh, pull, uh, when we flew into Fort Lauderdale and I had like two or three pills left in my pocket or something. So, so you know, I took those. Of course you did. <laughs> you know I did. But uh, I can remember that ride up there and I can remember that it was, it was an old dirty beat up black town car that picked me up in Fort Lauderdale. And it drove me up to the treatment center in uh in West Palm Beach, and I can remember thinking how much how stinky and dirty it was, and all that. And I, you know, I realized about halfway up there the reason it was like that is because it picked up people like me all day. Oh, and, ow, uh, ouch! Oh. And and that was, and, and you know what? I was I was so sick. By the time I got up there, I was sick on the flight. I was sick when I got up there, and um, I can remember somebody opening the door from the outside, and I fell out of the car. And um, I was, I, I had about another 30 feet to get through the door. And that's when I crawled on all fours to get through that doorway. And you know what? Nobody helped me. And I'm glad they didn't right. because I needed to do that myself. Mm. I needed to do that all by myself. And, you know, I kind of consider that my greatest accomplishment in life is crawling through that door because I was so scared. I was so sick. But that's what I needed to do to get my life back and my family back and my finances and my reputation and everything. And uh, so I, I look at that night, you know, September 22nd, 2009, crawling through that door as my greatest accomplishment in life. And isn't it beautiful? And because I, I, I can just I can just tell just looking at you. Isn't it beautiful how you can how you can go back there in a second? I mean, in a second. You know, I just recently celebrated 11 years and, and I, I went and I, I sat in the parking lot of, of where, of where my, my similar experience kind of, kind of happened. And, and I, cause I, on that day I planned to take my life and, 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 and I can go back to that just soul crushing desperation I can feel that just, I, th- I think that f- for me, you know, uh, th- what saved me was God. And, and, and f- I, I believe that God allows me to feel that for just a second. Cause I, I think he saved me from that so that I, you know, but, but I, I, I'm so grateful that I can feel that for just a second. So I don't forget. So I don't forget. And the gratitude that, that it, just that, that feeling gives me just is um, immeasurable immeasurable well, I, think, I think it's important that we don't forget 
You know, uh, I think we need to go back there every now and then and remind ourselves uh, of, 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 of what our next drink or our next drug or where it will take us, you know, and um, because that's, that's what it would be for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm that one who, that uh, one is one, one is too many and a thousand never enough, you know, I'm that guy. So, uh, you know, I go back there quite a bit. I, I had the good fortune of, you know, two weeks into my detox, I can remember sitting at a picnic table uh, on the campus. And uh, for some reason, I used to get up every morning while I was in treatment and, and just write. I had a spiral notebook and I would just kind of write down what I, and I don't know why I'm not a big writer, but um, I would just write what was going on around me, how I felt, what was happening and all that. And this one, this one particular morning, it said Wednesday, is at 8.45 in the morning. And, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I get to pass this place all the time, even still today. But I was sitting at this picnic table and um, I couldn't stop sobbing. You know, I was crying. I was sobbing uncontrollably. And it, because for the first time in 20 something years, I was kind of having to deal with life on life's terms, clean and sober. Mm. And uh, thinking about all the, the huge wake of destruction that I left back in Houston with my family and my friends and my and my finances and reputation and all that. And I just couldn't get a grip on myself. And Christine, I couldn't get over the obsession to throw pills down. And um, and this was this is it was like somebody came up behind me and draped a warm quilt around my shoulders. And and I say that because I remember feeling weight and warmth on my shoulders. And it was like I had this overwhelming something it, something happened to me in that one or two seconds it was like my spiritual awakening my burning bush moment but i had this overwhelming confidence that not only could i do this but that i had to make it mean something i had to make it all the misery and pain that i put everybody through and myself and 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 everything i had to make it mean something and that was kind of the that was kind of the birth of what I do now, although I didn't know then what I was going to do. And I had a ton of work to do on myself. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to make it mean something. And, um, you know, the, the, the rest is history. I went off and had a, I had a knee replaced while I was in treatment. Really? And, uh, wow. yeah. I what deto- was that like? I, I detoxed for a month. Because I'd had so many seizures, they were scared to death to detox me a regular time. So they they took a they took it slow and detoxed me. Then I went off and had knee knee replacement. Came back, detoxed off the hospital meds that they gave me, and then I went off for another sixty days and worked on, you know, the underlying issues that made Randy do what Randy did. And um, you know, a lot of that was, you know. Um, a lot of that was traced back to not being Randy Grimes, the football player anymore. You know, I can remember when I, like I said, I had five head coaches and uh, Sam Weish was my last coach. And I can remember after that game in 1992, our last game, I can remember him putting his hand on my shoulder and saying that Tampa Bay wouldn't be needing me anymore. And, uh, and, and I'd been injured uh, halfway through that year, so I knew I couldn't go try out for anybody else. And so I knew it was over. And I can remember thinking, 
this is how it ends. You know, after all that I've been, all the blood, sweat, and tears that I put on football fields all over this country since fourth grade, and this is how it ends with a coach I've only had for one year who has no loyalties to me, who I don't even like personally, you know, putting his hand on my shoulder and telling me that they wouldn't be need me anymore and then keep walking by. And I can remember thinking, I just, not that I expected to have a street named after me or a big party, but, you know, I just never expected it to end like that. And I just kind of raked everything out of my locker into a black trash bag and walked out the back door. And Randy Grimes, a football player, didn't exist anymore. And, and I struggled with that for a long time. No, I can't imagine. You know, so that was that was just throwing gasoline on an already raging dumpster fire that was the addiction or, or the necessary evil. And, um, you know, it wasn't until treatment that I really grieved the death of Randy Grimes, the football player. And that was a real process. Wow. Yeah, I, gosh, when you put it, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, what a. Well, my whole identity was wrapped up in that uniform and with that game. And, you know, I, I had allowed football to become who I was instead of just something that I was good at. And, um, you know, that, that's my fault. I let that happen, but you know, that's, that's, that's the way it always was. And, um, you know, I, I just, I had a lot of work to do. There was a lot of depression and a lot of uh, uh, loss of identity. And, and I just, I really needed to, uh, I needed help reinventing myself. You know, I, when I didn't have that uniform anymore, it was hard for me to be a father or to be an employee or a neighbor or a husband. You know, it was, and as crazy as that sounds, you know, I, I, I see it every day. I deal with it today. You know, with, with the athletes that I work with, with the veterans that I work with, with the first responders that I work with, we wrap our identity up in that uniform. And when that thing comes off, man, we don't know who we are anymore. Wow. So tell me, I, I, I want to know, because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I, what I, what I hear you saying is very similar to, to, to what I had experienced in that, in that when you were sitting there sobbing and you said you felt, you felt the warm cloak, did you have a resolve that you knew that you were, were clean? Did you understand what I'm saying? That you, you knew something profound was different and you had the confidence to move forward. Did that happen? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? I'm, uh, that's exactly what happened. You know? It's like, I'm and, not sure and, what that was or what that means, but I have a renewed energy to take a step forward to take, yes. to, yeah, to, exactly. to get busy exactly. doing the work. Whereas before, at least for me, before, before that experience, the work was work. It was, it was, um, it was, but after that experience, it's like, okay, let's get it on. Let's, let's figure before, out. Before that, it was just doing it for everybody else. Yep. Before that, it was just white knuckling it through every day. Oh, which is, you know, yeah. after that, it was wholeheartedly into it. You know, it was, you know, it was moving forward. It was, it was doing it. It was taking suggestions. Yep. Imagine you know? that. <laughs> So what was that flight like home from from Florida to back to Houston after? So it's 60 days. So you were gone for what? Was about 90 days altogether? 90 days. And there wasn't a flight home. I mean, I, I when, I, when that door hit me in the ass, 
I was so scared that I was willing to do whatever they told me to do. And they told me to move. And here I was, 49 years old, former NFL football player. They told me to move into sober living with a bunch of 20-something-year-old kids out of the Northeast. And I did it. And uh, I moved into sober living, and I stayed there for another six months And uh, because I was scared to death to be out there by myself. Oh, I get it. And they would let me come back, even though I'd been discharged as a client, they would let me come back on campus every day because I needed to see, I needed to be around my safe people. And I needed for them to see my eyes and hear my voice every day. I needed to stay accountable to my safe people. And uh, I would come back on campus every day and just walk around and pick up cigarette butts. And, um, you know, I did that for six months. And uh, then I started eventually making some alumni phone calls for free. Just anything I could do to stay, stay connected around that campus, around mm-hmm. my safe place. And, uh, yeah, of course, I was going home and visiting, but I was always coming back. And um, because and, and, you know, my family didn't really understand that. You know, they, they thought, hey, you went off, you got well. And, um, you know, I wasn't well yet. I, there was still so much more work I needed to do. Um, and, 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 and over time, they did. And I think they just wanted to see me do the next right thing day in and day out. And um, eventually, I earned their, their, their trust back. And, 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 but it took a lot of work to do that. And it, it was hard on them, I me mean, not coming back, you know. Oh, I can't um, imagine. But I wasn't ready, Christine. I wasn't ready to come back to Houston. I wasn't ready to come back to all those triggers and people, places, and things, as they say. Um, and uh, it was worth it to me to, to do whatever they told me to do. I, I needed to listen to people that had been successful. Right. Well, in 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 it in, in I don't know if it was that way. I do know it was that way for you. For so long, we've we've believed our own lies. You know, it's in and, and, and we we've gotten so good at 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 fooling ourselves and t- and telling ourselves things that aren't true. It, 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 I totally get what you're saying. It's like I need to be around people where I can go. I'm thinking this. Is that crazy? Or is that true? Or is that, you know, just so I can, I, I need someone, an outside force to go, you're not nuts. That's the truth. Or yeah, you're not, <laughs> oh, that's old behavior. And, you know, I got to tell you, Randy, 11 years later, I still need that. <clears throat> you know, there'll be times where I'll call my sponsor and I'll go, okay, here's what happened. Here's what I think. Is that nuts? And she'll go, mm, yeah, that's put your crazy back in your pocket. That's not true. <laughs> Stop feeling like that. That's not true. And so she changes. And it's 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 amazing how she can change the trajectory of, you know, is, especially <clears throat> when it comes to, for instance, you know, a, a fuss with Rick or something. And I'm like, well, he did this. And, this, and she's like, yeah, no, no, we don't do that anymore. That's old behavior. So let's not do that anymore. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So then I'm open to go say, make an amends and, and, you know, and, and do the next right thing. But, but I was so, um, handicapped on how to live, how to, how to live in my own skin and how to treat you with respect when I couldn't even, when I tried to kill me, how in the hell could I ever treat you with respect? You know? Um, and, and I had to relearn how to be a human being. I had to learn how to be a human being. It was crazy. It was, it, it felt crazy at first. Crazy. Well, and and that's what 
program was designed for. You know, thank God for for Bill Wilson and, and Dr. Bob. You know, thank God that they had that divine uh, revelation to put together this program that has saved so many lives. Mm. And uh, you know, I, I jumped in wholeheartedly. You know, I, I like I said, I was willing to do. I I still had that gift of desperation even in my aftercare, and even still today, I like to think that I still have that. I like to think that I still have that desire to fall out of that car and crawl through those doors, you know, um, even today. And it's almost 14 years later, uh, 14 years in September. So, um, you know, I get to, I think working in the industry like I do now, I get to see it every day and I get to be reminded every day of how bad it can get and how I never want to go back there, how I never want to put my family through that again. And, um, but I also know that if it ever happened again, I wouldn't survive mm. the second one. So share, share that with me. So so um, where after recovery did you start getting involved as far as treatments? Because, you know, um, and thank you. Uh, I, I've, I've thanked you, um, you know, uh, through social media. But thank you so much for sponsoring two episodes of this show, Athletes in Recovery did. And, and um, share with me. You know, where where in your recovery for the for the almost fourteen years did you did you start into that as far as um, getting involved with treatment centers and trying to give back what you what you received? Well, the athletes in recovery, like I said, it started at that picnic table that day. I knew I wanted to make it mean something, and I, and I knew that there was a lot of other guys that I'd played with and against out there that were struggling just like me. You know, I wasn't the only one getting in that drug safe every day, you know, and that was just with my team. And there was another 31 teams out there. So I knew that there was other guys out there struggling and I knew that there was no resources out there for them. So uh, and, and this is this is way after that picnic table experience. You know, this is like another year and a half later, you know, that I started working with the NFL uh, they formed the Player Care Foundation. You know, like I said earlier, there was nothing for former players when I came in. So we started the Player Care Foundation. We started going out, sharing my story, and uh, letting guys know that they aren't alone, that they weren't the only ones going through this. And, uh, you know, hands started going up all over the country. Got, these are former players all over the, all from all over the league. And we were able to help and have been able to help over the last – nearly 13 years, uh, hundreds and hundreds of former NFL players, which was my goal originally. Never did I dream that Major League Baseball would get involved in the NHL and NBA and pretty much Christine, every sport you can think of that has an organization that supports their former players. I don't deal with active players because every team or every organization has their own protocols. So I work with every organization that supports their former players, whether it's an alumni or, a, or a guild like the jockeys guild uh, or, or, or uh, a players association or union. So anything like that is who I work with. And, you know, I don't just work with athletes. I work with everybody, you know, anybody looking for, for a way out of this, this chaos uh, that is addiction. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost like, and you're going to think I'm stupid when I say this, but it's almost like God allowed all this to happen 
just so I could do what I do now. I don't at all I think to, that's stupid. I used to think football was life and death, but this disease is life and death. You but know? isn't that beautiful? And we have so much work to do. Isn't that beautiful? And 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 again, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that that you feel the same way. You know, it's it's like when when I'm sharing with someone that is still in in the throes of alcoholism and or addiction, which alcoholism is an addiction. Um, um, I, I am reminded that that every single hellish thing that I've been through in my life, everything that led up to that moment was worth it. It was worth it. It was you to sit in this chair today and talk to me, you know? And, 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 you know, and I'll, I'll go even one step farther that, that if, if all three of my, of my biological children, because Rick and I have five kids together, I got two bonus kids. If, if the three of my bio kids that went through, you know, most of this, if they were standing here and you and and you said, okay, tell you what, I, I'll take back all of the horrible things I did in in, in drinking, it, horrible uh, things I did. Uh, you know, I'll take all of those back, and and you you'll have your mom just as she would have been without the alcoholism. Would you do it? And all three would say no. All three of them would say no. All three of them would say that they know God because I'm an alcoholic. I mean, wh- what is that? You know, you and, 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 and for me, like like when I was in the throes of, of alcoholism, because I too would seize when I would when I would try to stop. Um, I, I again, believing my own lies, I didn't it, it didn't have anything to do with anybody else. It was me. Why are you? It's my life. I'm doing this to me. What you know, I had no I had no clue what I was doing to the family. I had no clue. I just, you know, the whole, it's a family disease. It's, it's a family disease. I mean, everybody is affected and, and you don't, you don't see that wreckage until you get right-minded and, and, and come out and, and, you know, and that's when, you know, a lot of the, uh, the work begins, but, but, um, all of those things had to happen. And I think that's just beautiful. You know, that, that, that I can, you know, it says, it says in one of our books that, that, that we, we, uh, you know, uh, um, um, alcoholic addicts will reach that other alcoholic addict like no one else can, like no physician, no lawyer, no, oh, I just got chills and I love it. No, no, no minister, no No one. We will reach them like no one else can. And man, that is, that is a gift. That is a gift that you are, and 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 God bless you for you know, um, and and I if if you're anything like me, you you try to be careful. It's like okay, don't 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 give me that credit because if I if if you if you give me that credit, guess what? I'm gonna take it right, and I don't want to do that because that gets me back into wrong thinking. I know where where all of this has happened from. I I know where all of this comes from, and I know where the source is, and 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 I right. I gotta give I gotta give credit where credit's due. But but we we still made, did make a choice to participate in that, and so I think that um, I think that you are amazing um, in in you're, what you've done. Because you're sweet. I have heard. Well, I'm just telling you the truth, and I, I have heard some of the stories of the the interventions and stuff that that you've been able to do. And you'll just you know I I think that I think that it's a special thing that that when when you get when you know when you get to heaven you're going to be able to see all of the people that are going to be able to come up to you and say I'm here because you made a choice. 
you know, yes, I yes, God, so. God so. provided, but you made the choice to be the skin, the the voice, you know, that, that, um, you know, I, I often tell my, my sponsor, because my sponsor to me was God uh, for a long time, because I didn't have a, I didn't have a perception of who that was. And, and because I, I couldn't, I it was so noisy. I couldn't hear God, but I could hear her. I could hear her. And so she was God to me. And and so she is one of the people that that I will be in heaven because of her son. That goes a little bit deeper than than what we're talking about here, but it, you just um you don't recognize how far reaching your efforts um are and it just it's it's a beautiful beautiful thing that that comes from such um destruction and just, I don't know if you, about you, but I was terrorized in my... Well, uh, hopefully it's like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. And, you know, you said it, uh, it is a family disease. And, I, I, you know, the way I picture it is like, a, you know, a jellyfish. You know, it's got the tentacles that go everywhere. And it just, you know, it just affects everybody around you, whether they're family or not. You know, whether employees or workmates or, or neighbors or, you know, people at church. It affects everybody. And, um, you know, I've, I've got to say it and I never, I never go without saying this, but my family and my, my, my wife, my family, my kids, they're the heroes of my story because they, 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 they never gave up on me, you know? And, uh, uh how do you repay that mm -hmm. with, with everything that I put them through with what you're doing? How, how do you, you, you can only repay it by doing the next right thing mm -hmm. and, and trying to be the, the, the father and the man that the husband that, that, that you always promised to be, but there for about 20 years, you weren't. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm so happy that you are who you are and, and, um, that you're my friend and, and I'm just, I, there, there is, there is a, a kinship between, um, people like us that that's like no other, you know, the, um, uh, again, a, a book, a book that I read says that we are like survivors of the same shipwreck, you know, um, where as much right. as, where as much as Rick is involved in, and, and, and I too was blessed in the sense that he came along with me in recovery. Not, not all of my family members did come with me in recovery, meaning that, that, um, they, they just, they, they got involved in the recovery part of it. And, and Rick, Rick probably knows my recovery program better than I do, quite frankly. Um, but it's not the same. <laughs> It's just not the same. And so, you know, for someone who is still suffering, that's what I wanted to ask you. So if you can imagine that person, um, whether it be an athlete, a, you know, a former athlete that's that's um, struggling with 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 pills or medication or 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 a housewife that is is drowning in a bottle of vodka, um, you know, the, the that feeling of of um, soul just absence it, oh, it's just all i can explain it what what would you say to that person what would you say to that person uh, that there's hope and help and that there, that it's okay to not be okay but you've got to raise your hand and ask for help you're not alone there's other people that have been where you are and you've got to know that there's hope and help out there you know uh, that this is not going to end well if you don't get help 
And it's a beautiful life. Isn't it a beautiful life? Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. even, even on, you know, there's, um, something and, and I heard, I heard in, in probably the first week that I was sober, someone said, and it's, and it just resonates. And it, as long as I'm sober, there's no big deals. There's no big deals. Right. There's no big deals. We sometimes try to make things big deals. Oh, but boy, howdy. <laughs> there, the, the grateful reality is there, there's right. There is no big so tell me, how do you start your day? What, how do you, how do you start your day? Uh, I start my day with, uh, hugging my wife. Grateful that, that we're still together. And, and you know, the cool thing is, uh, in my recovery and, and what I get to do now, you know, yeah, I work in the treatment industry. Uh, uh, but I also get to do a lot of interventions and I get to take her along with me and she's so good with families. Uh. And of course, she understands that role and uh, and how to help them. So, you know, I love the fact that we're able to do a lot of interventions together. And um, but that's not what you asked me. I start my day with hugging her. And, uh, you know, I, I get on my book. I mean, I, I get in my, my big book on my phone and, you know, and I'll, I'll do my daily meditations and stuff and. You know, I just get prepared for what I know is going to be part of my day. And that's helping other people um, that are struggling with this with this disease. And, you know, I'm just so grateful that I'm able to do that every day. It never gets old. It's you know, it's 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 my passion. And and like I said, it, it was like God was preparing me all those years to do what I do now, because this is so important. And we have so much work to do. There's so much stigma around this disease and mm -hmm. you know that keeps families from raising their hand and asking for help it keeps people that are struggling with this uh, disease uh from raising their hand and asking for help and uh you know there's so much guilt and shame associated with it and you know this happens to good people mm -hmm. and uh there, there is no guilt and shame there shouldn't be any stigma and we've just got you know shows like this it's people like you that's going to tear down all those walls that prevent people from asking for help. Well, because you think that that the alcoholic addict drug, you know, uh, is is under the bridge, right? It's, right. it's like that's not. Uh, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The sh the shame is what I think keeps keeps most people. And what what just came to my mind when you were talking, it's like what what you were describing it, it, your your day as far as as far as with Lydia and, and interventions and working with people that is an identity that you can that you can throw yourself into that no one can ever take away from you right. no one can ever put that hand on that shoulder and go yeah we're not going to need you anymore it's like yeah bullshit dude <laughs> look to your left or look to your right because i'm telling you there's not a single human being on this planet that doesn't know someone that has been affected by this disease not one not one, it's, at least that I have found, you know, and, and, and that's right. why as, as you being so bold about it, it's, it's, um, you know, I was reminded this morning, you know, um, uh, it was about 11 years ago when, when I, I was speaking somewhere and, and I was telling a lady, I was speaking, not regarding addiction. And, and I just happened to mention that I'm an alcoholic and, and she goes, Oh, 
you're an alcoholic. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> dude, don't, don't, don't even th- think about taking that away from me. Now I don't wear it as a badge of honor. I'm, I'm, it's that because then it becomes a pride thing, but, but I am a survivor of, of this disease. And, and when you, when you know that there is a solution, you know, if I knew there was a solution for cancer and I wasn't screaming it from the rooftops, damn me right? I know there's a solution for addiction. I, I know that. I, I know that to be a fact. And, and, and I will keep screaming that for that one person who, like I said, is, is, is to the point where they're ready to eat a bullet. There, there's hope. There's hope. There is hope. And, and people just need that one, one glimpse of hope. And I love what you said, Randy, about, about Lydia too. Um, last, uh, last week I had Rick in, and, and I asked him and I said, you know, before we got here, because he's, we've, we've done this whole 11 years together, but we've never sat and really talked about what was that like for you? What was that? What was that experience like? I mean, you know, quite frankly, I was a little scared when we came in and sat down, um, but he, he did great. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I want this, this, um, uh, show and again, I hate calling it a show to also have family members to say what it was like for them because they're you know as as much as the addict and the alcoholic is in shame, family members are in shame too, right? right. I mean, they're afraid to speak their truth, you know, um, for for guilt of or for fear of judgment and and being um, isolated and it just yeah it it. Oh, yeah. You know, last year I was, I went out to visit my son. My son lives in uh, Rwanda and uh, he took me out to a gang park and we spent the night out there together. And, you know, for years, you know, like I said, nearly 14 years, uh, everything's been great. You know, he just wanted to see me doing the next right thing. You know, he was proud of me. He was happy for me. He was, you know, all those, all those great emotions. Okay. But, you know, Christine, I never made amends to him until we were out in the middle of this game park just last year. That was my 13, thir- year 13, okay, since I got sober, that I finally made amends to him. And all these emotions that he's he's been stuffing down inside came out. And it was so, such a beautiful thing. And I was so mad at myself that I'd taken that long you know, because I thought everything was good and everybody was getting along and all that. But it wasn't until I said, you know what? I'm so sorry for everything that I put you through. And um, I, I, I just, I couldn't control myself. I couldn't stop what the, the, the insanity. And those emotions that came out of him 13 years later, you know, that just proves what a huge family and how we're so good at, stuffing down all that mm-hmm. stuff you know well and 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 he, he, it clearly he was stuffing too which ultimately you know i well, I, I believe about, yeah. right ultimately i believe when you're stuffing stuff like that it, that's a cancer that's just that's a cancer that somehow will reveal itself you know um so yeah what a what a gift that was quite frankly for both of you right for that to happen because I'm, I'm sure I can't imagine what he took away from that, you know, and, and, and seeing you take that responsibility, even, even that far. Yeah. It's just, that's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. I just, my regret is that I didn't do it sooner. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, but you know as well as I do. I mean, it, you know, who knows? It happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. That happened, exactly. that, you know, it may not have been received. Who knows? But that's, yeah, that's just, that's part of the beautiful thing about about recovery. That's one, that that you gave him the gift of being able to put all that down, right? Because when we're carrying so much stuff, it... But anyway, it's um, so so tell me, how do people get a hold of you? Um, athletes in recovery. Tell me all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Pro athletes in recovery. Uh, that dot org. org. That's, yeah. my, uh, that's my website. That's my organization. And um, what we do is, uh, you know, it's athletes helping everybody with this disease of addiction. Uh, you can find me at proathletesinrecovery.org, or you can find me at Agape Behavioral Health Care or Agape Treatment Center. Matter of fact, that's where I am right now. I'm in Fort Lauderdale. You should be here. Oh, I'm, tell- I'm, te- I'm telling you. I know. I, know. I love Florida. <laughs> I do love Florida. I do love Florida. And you're going to say that one too many times, and then you and Lydia is going to have some, some house guests. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. We're ready. But no, I live in Tampa and... Uh, well, actually, I live in St. Petersburg, so I'll be heading back over there later on this afternoon. But I, I work in Fort Lauderdale. I work, I work all up and down the East Coast and the West Coast. So I love Florida. I love Texas, too. I've been out there all last week, and it was good to be back home. But, um, yeah, you can find me at proathletesinrecovery.org, or you can find me on any of the social medias, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Um and I'm just grateful that I'm able to do this every day and, and give back to uh, to a program that saved my life. Amen. Amen. Well, I am so grateful to you for agreeing to come on and talk to me. Um, and and like I said, I'm I, proud I, of you. I'm well, proud of you for Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna kill it. Thank you. Well, I, I, you know what, I, like I said, I'm, I'm gonna try to stay out of the way and just see what God does with this. And, and if we, with this little venture, if, if we reach just one person, then, then all of it's just completely worth it. So. Well, I'm proud of you. Thank, thankful for the opportunity today, and uh, I hope everything in Waco's good and sick and bears. Amen. Amen. All right, you take good care. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon, and give that bride of yours a hug. Give that bride of yours a hug for me. Uh, I will for sure. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, hon. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back.